Welcome to Tablets Parsha in Progress, where we talk about the Torah portion of the week and why it matters. I'm Abigail Pogrebin, author of My Jewish Year, 18 Holidays, One Wandering Jew. And I'm Rabbi Dove Linzer, president of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah Rabbinical School. Congratulations on your presidency. Thank you, thank That's you. It's very exciting. Yes, it is. And we're talking Torah together, not just because the Hebrew Bible is so challenging and relevant today. But because we found that this ancient text comes to life in conversation, especially between two people who practice Judaism very differently. So this week, we look, dove, at Terumah in the book of Exodus. Terumah means gift or offering. So what's being offered? Well, the Israelites are offering up, you know, their gold, silver, and copper to help construct the tabernacle. And that will be like the portable temple which will travel in the desert with the Jewish people. So we've left Sinai with the law, and now we need something to carry it in. It has to be an appropriate vessel, Yes, you know, that's like the Ark. Like, remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? (laughs) Exactly. So that was the vessel. It was like a box, essentially, gold on the inside and outside, that was used for carrying the tablets. So there's a Jewish commentator, Nachmanides, 13th century. Not Maimonides. Not Maimonides. Nachmanides. Nachmanides. Get the Nach. Exactly. And he says that it was the Ark that was the center of the tabernacle. As opposed to what? Well, as opposed to the altar and the sacrifices. It was really about the tablets representing God's presence. It was like a portable Mount Sinai. So even when they left Mount Sinai, God would still be present in their midst. So I love that idea that we're carrying God with us, essentially. Yeah. Um, those who have read this Parsha know that it is heavy on minutia, like it's a dump truck of detail. <laughs> One could get overwhelmed. There's a million specific requirements and there's all this ornamentation and the opulence. Every element of this tabernacle is, is, is laid out. And well, let's just read a sample okay. from the first verses. This is Exodus 25, 3 through 9. Quote, and this is the offering which ye, which ye shall take of them. Gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed I'm getting red all this down. and seal skins <laughs> and acacia, 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 I think. acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil. It's quite a laundry list. Yes. And for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set for the aphod and for the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Yeah, it was a really definitely a fancy temple. Okay, I mean, I understand why we need it and why it has to be different from an like normal structures, not feel like a normal building, have a special architecture. And, you know, in the temple in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, it was on a high place. When they would build a temple in a town, they were supposed to build it on a high place. You know, it points us upward, gives us a sense of connecting to God. It was supposed to be the highest spot in town. The no? highest spot in town. Right. All of that I get and the symbolism and the power. But what bothers me is, you know, the opulence, the gold, the silver. You know, it feels like we're elevating material and wealth and maybe as a concession to what we as human beings value, but shouldn't the temple be focusing us on what really matters and on the spiritual? I think it's less about the opulence for opulence sake. It's more about how an ornate space can have a physical impact that's spiritual. I mean, I, I feel moved myself when I'm sitting in 
Central Synagogue, which is, um, if you've ever been there, have you been there? Yeah, I was there once. It would be a Shonda if you hadn't. <laughs> You'll it, have to invite me. Yeah. <laughs> it has Moorish architecture. It was built in the late 19th century. There's a combination of grandeur and serenity there, and it fills me up. Um, so yes, mm-hmm, I do mm-hmm. see that the place kind of translates uh-huh. to kind of a, in a it, it, it packs an emotional punch, a spiritual punch. But what it. about you? Because it feels like an obvious question for a rabbi, but it's not self-evident. Do mm-hmm. you do feel God in synagogue? And, and did the tabernacle concept in this Parsha mm-hmm. end up succeeding if you evaluate it personally? Well, you know, in all honesty, on a very personal religious basis, uh, no, it's really hard for me to feel connected in a synagogue most of the time. That's, I mean, that's quite a revelation. It might shock the people who know you, no? <laughs> well, you know, I don't think I'm alone. I mean, I think people f- find it challenging, and more and more people are looking for spiritual Jewish experiences outside of synagogues. So you don't believe we need synagogues? Oh, I do. I mean, first of all, it makes me very much feel part of a community. Um, but personally, if you're asking about feeling pers- you know, subjectively, personally connected— it's very hard for me to find God often in a space like that. And when I do find God, well, let me take that back. It's not harder than somewhere else, but I don't find often that the space makes it easier. What I find enables me to feel more connected is what's going on around me. You know, if other people are praying in a, with seriousness, with intention, you know, and then the energy can really be elevating and uplifting and make me feel connected. Um, sometimes, actually, ironically, if the space is not fancy, it's small, low ceiling, crowded, but there's this intensity of praying with the community, that really does it for me. Yeah, but you've also said to me that you sometimes feel God the most outside. So, Talk about that a bit. Well, yeah. I mean, I think if you're asking, like, what setting not, you know, makes me feel connected, yeah, going outside into nature, you know, that's that's when I feel God's grandeur and God's beauty and more of a connectedness to the world um, and to the, you know, to that sense of something larger than myself. Um, how about you? Like, do you experience God in the synagogue? I do, but I have a sense of God's presence at, at many unexpected moments. And and like you, it's sometimes in the synagogue, but it's often also outside it with my children, with um, my husband, with a close friend, or mm-hmm. sometimes when I'm grappling with something hard. You know, there's this quote I keep from the Kotzka rabbi. I don't know where I read it, but I, I held on to it, the 18th century Hasidic rabbi. And he says, um, God dwells wherever we are ready to let God in. Mm. That resonates for me. If we're mm-hmm. open to an unexpected sense of the divine, I think we do stumble upon it more than we thought we might. Right. And, you know, getting back to the issue of space, sometimes it is the space that does make us more open to it. But there's this, let me, let me tell you a story. So there's this Lithuanian rabbi, which means he's like was against the Hasidim, the Hasidim, which is those that focused more on the spiritual. You know, he was very focused on the intellectual. And uh, there he was. He went to the yeshiva to see where his son was, and he couldn't find his son anywhere. Um, And he was supposed to be in the study hall learning. And finally, he finds him outside in the forest. So he says to him, you know, what are you doing in the forest? So the son says, well, I came here to pray to God, to be close to God. So he says, so the rabbi says, but, you know, God is everywhere. God is in the study hall, you know, God, and God is the same everywhere. So the son says, yes, God is the same everywhere, but I'm not. Yeah, that's wonderful. So we we change, yeah. or it's where we are that affects kind of what we feel or experience. Yeah. So I want to finish by drilling down on one line in the Parsha that, that we started with, because it strikes me kind of as the crux of the matter. 
And it's the line that says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That's Exodus 25, 8. Mm -hmm. God says the point of the sanctuary, the temple, is for us to be together with God, not just worshiping God, but spending time with God. The quote is that I may dwell among, not above them. So that reminds me that, you know, however many times God seems to require our praise, our gratitude, even our supplication many times, God is ultimately our companion, that the sanctuary was envisioned for us to be side by side. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's such a great thing to point out that verse. And also, you know, it says, build me a sanctuary. And it doesn't say, and I will dwell in it, in the sanctuary. I will dwell among them. The sanctuary allows me to be present and there with my people and my people to connect to me. So that re- that is absolutely correct. So, and you're basically saying it's not just that God is not above us, that God is sort of alongside us, but that ultimately we become a holy community in that place, that that's essentially what the tabernacle offered us. I mean, I think for so many people, you know, a synagogue is not fundamentally about praying. Um, it's about connecting to others and being part of a community. And um, when that, that central institution is a synagogue, then it means we define our community as a religious community, as a Jewish community. I, it's true. I didn't grow up as a regular member of one synagogue. But when I finally joined one as an adult central synagogue, it did change everything. Because suddenly I felt like I had not just a Jewish home, but a Jewish family. Mm-hmm. And that some of the closest friendships to my kids, to, to my husband and myself, they have been forged there. So we feel connected not just to each other, but to some kind of larger story and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. project. Right. And I think that point of project is a great one because it's not just the space and the coming together, but it's having, you know, an activity or activities that you do together. And that's also a central part of the Parsha. It's all of the hustle and bustle, the gathering of to the gold it. and the silver to build it. And then the act of building it, you know, putting the material together. So, and I think it's like when we do these large communal projects to build a synagogue, something for a larger religious purpose, that pulls us closer together and it defines us as who we are as a community, what our priorities are, what's that thing that transcends all of us. No, it's interesting. After uh, Central Synagogue had that tragic fire, um, it was amazing how it kind of took a village to put that Mm. sanctuary back together and not just to raise money for it, but you had the kids stenciling, Uh you know, the uh walls and people participating and and they can walk into that place now and know that their mark is there, that their their sign of, of contribution is evident. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe that's ultimately the you shall make me a synagogue. We have to or make me a temple. We have to focus on the making and how central that is. It's a nice ending for Shabbat Shalom. Okay, Shabbat Shalom. We hope you'll join us next time for Parsha in Progress. I'm Abby Pogrevin. And I'm Dove Linzer. Nice to talk to you, Dove. Nice talking, Abby. Parsha in Progress is written and hosted by Rabbi Dove Linzer and Abigail Pogrebin. It's produced by Shira Talishkin and edited by Sophia Steiner Eboy. The show is executive produced by Josh Cross, Jacob Siegel, and Tablet Magazine. Mm-hmm.